Thank you, Mark. Before we start the sermon, I wanted to bring your attention to a sheet or a card that's in the, the bulletin. Uh, statistics tell us that more people are apt to go to Christmas services. So you got our services throughout the, the time in December, and I just encourage you to invite your friends. And obviously, I want you guys to, to really speak to those that maybe wouldn't come on a regular time and, and just share this love that we have for Jesus. So that card's in there. And then just real quick, Right Now Media is something that we use for Bible study. We pay for it as a church so that we can use it for Bible study, but it's available for you guys. So don't forget that resource, and, and that's in your bulletin also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you, and we just praise your name. We ask that as we look at this song that you would allow us to sing praise to your Son. We pray that that praise for your Son would just radiate out of us and that it would be a song of glory, a song of love, and a song that just represents how wonderful and beautiful He is. Lord, I lift up the people in this room and I lift up the kids as they go downstairs and I pray that they would just sense Your presence as they put together a a Christmas pageant and that we continually can honor You in it. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. So for the next three weeks plus Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the song, The First Noel. Now we're not just going to stay there, we're going to take that song and we're going to use it to look at other songs that are in the Bible. These songs that proclaim who Jesus is. And today, the, the title of this sermon is The Song of Humor, and I know that doesn't necessarily make sense right now, but it will as we work through this sermon. Let me first read the first Noel, because first of all, I'm not a very good singer and you don't want to hear me sing. But I want you to listen to it as a poem almost. This, this declaration, this glory for who God is. It says this. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to serve portent shepherds in fields as they lay. In fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, born as the king of Israel. They looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. And to the earth it gave great light, and so it continued both day and night. Noel, born as the king of Israel. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent, and to follow the star wherever it went. Noel, born as the king of Israel. The star drew nigh to the northwest, or Bethlehem it took its rest. And there it did both pause and stay, right o'er the place. Where Jesus lay, Noel, born as the King of Israel. And then let us all with one accord sing praise to our heavenly Lord that have made heaven and earth not, and with His blood mankind have bought. And so first of all, when we look at this song, what is Noel? We sing the song, but do we really understand what it means? In French, the word is joyeux Noël. Now, my French accent is terrible, but it basically means Merry Christmas or Joyful Christmas, if you're looking at it woodenly. 
Our modern English word comes from this Middle English word, Noel, spelled N-O-W-E-L. And if you have an 1828 dictionary just sitting around and you were to open that up, you would see that it says this. uh, This word is a shout of joy. A Christmas song. Our English carol, the, the first Noel, was first published in a book titled Carols Ancient and Modern. It was edited by William Sandys in 1823. The root of the word, the, this French Noel or Christmas season, it comes from the French word Noel, which is derived from the Latin word Nautilus, which, which means birth. And since Christmas is this celebration of the birth of Christ, it makes sense that we would use this word to describe this nativity or birth. And you might be saying, that's all great for this word, Noel, but where does this humor come into it, Pastor Zach? I'm going to get there. I mean, imagine how quiet it must have been in these fields outside of Jerusalem. Maybe some of the shepherds were sleeping. Maybe some were talking quietly, but... Quietness. Only that little sound. Maybe there was a bell on the lead sheep. Maybe there was a bath. The the sheep were dreaming or the the sheep had just woke up. I don't know. But there was no cars, no planes, no trains. And they were away from the city. Peace that we only experience when we're alone in in the mountains. Just under the stars. And then what? I mean, out of the blue it happens. An angel of the Lord appears. The glory of the Lord is around them and they are filled with this great fear. And they begin to speak this Noel to the shepherds. If you look in Luke 2, starting at verse 11, this is where we're at. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. And so a Savior is born. He's born in in this town of David, King David. And who does the angel appear to first? Shepherds. Not the Pharisees, not the scribes, not the governors, not Caesar, but but shepherds. And for some reason, they're surprised, but they shouldn't have been. I mean, who does God appear to? He appears to the shepherds. Way back, this this first song, way back in Exodus, we see that the Savior of God's people was a lamb. A lamb. But yet, the wisest people in Jerusalem, they didn't recognize it. They were so far removed from their roots. And yet, God, He's so funny this way. He always presents Himself to those that are the least likely. I mean, you see these shepherds and what they do. But imagine the other side of it. The shepherds, they are overwhelmed by this fear in one moment. They are caught up in awe of what was going on. They are ecstatic and giddy about what they just saw. I imagine them saying, did you just see that? They can't stop talking. They're laughing with this excitement. They're laughing because maybe they were scared. They couldn't believe their eyes. But this sermon is not about the shepherds. It's about the Savior. You see, the song we sing is about Jesus. The song this entire book sings is about Jesus. The song, the first Noel, is far from the first Noel. 
You see, God has been setting up Christmas from before the beginning. If you look at the common Advent calendar, today would be hope. And we see this hope in the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And yeah, there's hope in today's message. But I want us to look at how we respond when we have hope. In this series, we're going to actually look at the songs that are in the Bible that point us towards this Savior born a baby on Christmas Day. The who of Christmas. And not just the how, what, when, and where. I want us to understand that, that Jesus is touchable. That, that Jesus is approachable. That He's knowable. Jesus is very much the perfect example of who we are as humans. And when you think of the perfect human, what would you want them to be like? I can tell you that I would want them to have humor. I can tell you that I would want them to be humble. I can tell you that I would want them to be honest and that I would want them to be worthy of honor. These traits, they fall in line with how God has made us and how the Bible tells us humans are to be. God, He put this in us. And He also put us this desire for song. In the Bible, we sing glory to God and who He is. Jesus is God. He's the incarnation. He is deity in the flesh. His characteristics are lived out so we can see who God is. Jesus is the Christmas story. Jesus is somebody that we would want to be around. He's this Advent, which means the arrival of a notable person. Jesus is the most notable person in the history of humankind. He's the perfect representation of humor, humility, honesty, and honor. And so let's start by looking at some songs. Did you know that there are 185 songs in the Bible? Now there may be more, but these are the ones that actually say this is a song. It declares it. And as we look at these songs in the Bible, it should give us this insight into who Jesus is. Now obviously there's 150 of them in the Psalms. Psalm 119 is the longest. I'm not going to read that because it would take all day. But I want to look at the two shortest. They're in the book of Second Chronicles, somewhere that you wouldn't even think would have songs, and it says this. They are seven words in the Hebrew. Second Chronicles 5:13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpets and the cymbals and other musical instruments, it praised the Lord. And this is what they said. They said, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. And it doesn't just say it here in 2 Chronicles 20, 21. And when He had taken counsel with the people, He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise Him in holy attire. And as they went before the army, they would say, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. The word for steadfast love in the Hebrew is, is hesed, or, or you try to say it with a hit, but I'm just not good at it, it doesn't work in the English. I think you all understand. But this word hesed, we know, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, it's so much more than just steadfast love. It's faithfulness. It's mercy. It's grace. It's kindness. It's loyalty. It's devotion. And when you think of these things as being Jesus, what should it do to us? 
should make us smile. No one should be frowning because what Jesus has done for us, He has redeemed us. Jesus, He left a glory above all glories to come to a slum of all slums so that He could save us. The incarnate. And when you put all this together, you can't help but come to the conclusion that Jesus is somebody that we want to be around. I mean, nobody wants to be around a grumpy old man. We want to be around people that enjoy life. We want to be around people that give us joy. It's natural to be drawn to somebody who has joy, who displays humor. And people, they were drawn to Jesus. And so how do we know he had humor? I mean, in the Bible, it doesn't say that Jesus laughed. But I believe just like a few weeks ago when when Pastor Bill was talking about song, it doesn't say very often that they sung. Because it was assumed. I mean, you couldn't help but be around Jesus and see this joy. You could see this humor. You could see who He is. Everyone wanted to be around Him. And when it talks about weeping, that wasn't common. There was so much joy when you were around Jesus. He's healing people. He accepts people. He gathers with people. He comforts people. And humor is one of the greatest attributes of a good host. Why else do we know that he had humor? Because we have humor. It's a part of who we are. God, he puts humor in us because he, as God, is humor. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. The Bible is a book that, that shouts out who God is. And it often does it in a song. And so I want us to think of this entire book as this precursor to Christmas. A series of songs or, or Christmas Noels pointing us to this Savior, pointing us to Jesus and revealing who He is. And the first Noel, or at least the first recorded Noel in the Bible is in Exodus 15. So if you want to turn there, this is where we're going to be for just a little bit. And so God, He's freeing His Israelites. He brings about these ten plagues. And I know this is me putting something into it, but I can imagine the God up there, the, the Trinity Himself, just laughing while He's doing it. Now stay with me. I know you don't quite understand where I'm going here, but, but think about it. The Nile is the giver of life. And he's like, here you go, here's some blood. Right? There's no life in that Nile with blood flowing through it. And so as they're sitting there, they go on to the next one. This fertility god that the Egyptians had established had the head of a frog. Now I get it, there's a lot of frogs in the Nile, but the head of a frog? And the father's like, hey, check this out, son. Right? He, he sends all these frogs out of the Nile to invade them. I imagine he's just laughing. But before we laugh at these Egyptians, we need to laugh at our own gods. The things that we put above God. If you really look back at them, they're kind of silly. Let's move on to the next one, right? We have this lice from the dust of the earth. God's laughing right now at the God of the earth for the, for the Egyptians. And then we see the, the Egyptian God of, of creation and rebirth had the head of a fly. Like, Really? The head of a fly? And God's like, here you go. Here's a swarm of flies if you like them so much. What about the goddess of love? Was It had the head of a cow. 
I wouldn't recommend telling the person you love that they kind of look like a cow. (laughs) But anyways, God, he sends death to the cattle and to the livestock. The goddess of medicine and peace, Moses throws ashes in the air and it turns into these these boils and sores. It's a great Christmas message for you. The goddess of sky, right? Hail and rain. The goddess of storm and disorder. Here's some locust and and it's going to look like a dust storm and it's going to destroy your crops. What about the sun, God? Here you go, three days of darkness. And then the last one, the Pharaoh, the ultimate God. Death of the firstborn. You see, death is imminent for all, but yet we see in this story that the Lamb, the Lamb saves those who trust in the Lord. The lamb, it points us to Jesus, the greater lamb, a symbol of this Christmas and later Easter. And Pharaoh, he finally gets the point. He sends them off, but only for a moment. And God's like, okay, here we go. You thought that was crazy? Let me part the Red Sea. I mean, think about it. They're chasing after him. There's so much fear. And they go through the greatest aquarium ever. There's fish on either side as they're walking through, but there's fear as they're, they're being chased. And they get to the other end, and what, does, what happens? Right? It comes crushing down. It takes out the Egyptians. And you can imagine the cheering. Right? They've been saved from this moment. And right there, a nation was born. Now, they're a nomad nation, but a nation. They're no longer just one family. No, there is no Christmas without the parting of the Red Sea. And you can imagine, they're giddy. I mean, probably the adrenaline is still rushing and they get to the other side and there's a party and Moses, he writes a song. First Noel, at least recorded. And it comes out of their joy. It's kind of like a victory song with a little bit of in your face, Pharaoh. I mean, who's our God? Way better than your God. Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. This example of salvation. He has saved them from the Egyptians. And He saves us from from this death. You see, we cannot look back at our sin and see the humor in it until we have been saved from it. I promise you, the Israelites were not laughing until God had saved them. The song goes on. I'm going to paraphrase it. Basically, it says, My God fights for me. You are sunk in the sea. You're like a stone. He then says, my God is glorious. My God wins. My God is great. He controls the sea. He controls life. He controls the wind. What about your gods? Did they help you when they were being swallowed up by the sea? Our God, He redeems us from all that would attack us. He establishes His place in this world. In verse 18, tells us the Lord will reign forever and ever. It doesn't stop. You see, his reign was throughout the Old Testament. His reign was during this first Christmas season. And it is forever and ever. And so let's look at the first century. The shepherds, they heard this glory and they respond. They went to find the baby and they see him lying in a manger. Luke 2, starting at verse 17. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then listen to this, the shepherds. They returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard and had been told to them. This Noel is a a song of praise for Jesus. Jesus' life was this Noel. And the Noel, it continues. Noel will be around to the end of days. Revelation 15, 3 and 4 tells us this. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. The second advent. But that first advent, that Christmas season, Jesus is our King now. And we do not have to fear. Because life has been restored. And how do we respond when life has been restored? I love the movies, the, the Lord of the Rings. And at the very end, after Frodo has saved the day, and he's laying in this bed, and he wakes up from the coma, and you can just see all the white light in and, and this atmosphere, and he looks up and he sees Gandalf, and at that moment, you know everything is right in the world. And that moment brings about laughter and smiles and hugs. Pippin and Mary, they come running in, and they jump on him. Gimli comes in and his laugh just starts to bellow out of this square dwarf. Right? Legolas. He cracks a smile. He never cracks a smile. And at this moment he does. Argon, he laughs. And then Samwise. Samwise comes in. He'd been through everything with Frodo. And you see this moment where they just look at each other. And then this little smile out of Samwise. Their world was restored. It's like a like a dream, a dream that we see in another song in the Psalms. It's, it's Noel to Jesus. This was written when the exiles returned from Babylon, but it's bigger than that. You see Psalm 126.1, When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, we are like those who dream. And I love this, right? The Lord restores fortunes. When we are saved, this is what He does for us. Today, down in Sunday school, we had a young man give his life to Christ. Amen. And you can see it. When we were done with that prayer, the smiles that were on the face of all the people in that room was huge. The smiles that are on many of your faces right now when anybody is saved, when they become part of the kingdom of God. And then what's that next step? Baptism. And so today, my friend Mike, if you want to go back and get ready, we're going we're gonna to do a baptism after the service. Guys, you see this joy that happens, this joy from restoration. And there was a restoration in Zion, and it was like a dream. Zion has so many meanings. Zion is Jerusalem. 
Zion is this temple mount. Zion can mean the heavenly city. It can mean the kingdom of heaven. And it can also mean a spiritual kingdom. All of it is who Jesus is and what He stands for. In Jesus, He restores us. He restores everything. And in the second advent, it will be restored to to this perfection. We often spend so much time on the first advent of Jesus when we should always allow this first advent to point us towards Jesus, to point us towards His second advent. And so what should our response be? What should our response be to this this restoration? Verse 2 and 3, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Our natural response, a response not defined by the fall, is one of laughter and joy and gladness. Humor, true humor comes from this. We tend to only think of humor as a form of laughter, but real humor as a state of mind. And Jesus demonstrates this even in the toughest moments. You see, Jesus is complying with what we need regardless of how difficult and unreasonable it seems. He saved us by taking on the cross and He humored our needs even when it cost Him His life. Verse 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. This Negev is a desert. It's south of Jerusalem. It is a land of death. And Jesus was an oasis when He came. Jesus would have been a joy to be around. He would have been a blessing to be with. As I was putting this sermon together, I couldn't help but think about the disciples sitting around with Jesus. Campfire. They're talking and they're laughing, but they're not laughing by making fun of somebody. No, they're laughing by lifting people up. Just imagine one of them saying on the day that Jesus healed the leper, did you see that leper's face? Did you see how it looked? There were sores everywhere. And then I imagine another one say, but yeah, did you see his face after he was healed? It was perfect. There was no blemish. And then another one pipes in and goes, did you see the faces of the people that were around him? And you couldn't help but see the glory and the joy of everyone that was around Jesus in these moments. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so every day, they saw people that were in tears. They saw people that that were weeping. And then what did they see? They saw shouts of joy. They saw people who come with nothing, leave with everything. These stories must have been amazing. Tal Bonham wrote in his book, Humor, God's Gift. Have you ever thought of Jesus throwing back his head and engaging in a good, hearty laugh? Can you imagine Jesus telling a joke or a ripple of laughter in the crowd while he spoke? And can you hear him saying, that reminds me of a funny thing that happened in Nazareth when I was a boy. 
He goes on to say, I contend from the beginning of his life to the end of his life on earth. Jesus was surrounded and caused joy and happiness and merriment and gladness and rejoicing and delight and laughter. Just look at his life as a baby, the way the shepherds went to see him. Man, he's lying in a manger, this glorious moment, and they were giddy. They had just seen the Messiah. And from that moment, it didn't stop. Even in his adolescence, we see this story when he's a 12-year-old boy. His parents leave him in Jerusalem. But I want us to look at Luke 2, 44. We're going to see something here. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and you say, why is this important? Because Jesus, he was with his family. He enjoyed the same things that we do. They didn't worry about him for an entire day. They knew where he was. They thought he was doing the very thing that he was doing when they traveled the 80 miles or so to Jerusalem. You see, everyone that was around him would have experienced this joy. He enjoyed being around his family. He enjoyed life. Then they realize he's not there. And so they head back to Jerusalem. And a few days later, they find him, right? And in Acts 2.49, I always like to think of this as sarcasm, but I don't think it is. I started thinking about that this day. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, any of you that are, are parents, this is the moment where your kid's telling you something and you're like, yep, you got me there. Jesus goes on. He gains favor with men. And how do we do that? By being respectful. By, by people wanting to be around us. Max Lucado wrote in his book, God came near. He says this. In, in Nazareth, he was known only as Jesus, the son of Joseph. And you can be sure that he was respected in the community. He was good with his hands. He had many friends. And he was a favorite among the children. He could tell a good joke. And the habit of filling the air with contagious laughter how else is a person who has nothing be the most notable person in the history of mankind and then it doesn't stop there what about his ministry how about this paralyzed man that comes down from the roof as they're dropping him down jesus knows these pharisees around him and he looks at him and just says your sins are forgiven he knows what's going to happen he's like what's it easier to say rise and walk or your son your sins are forgiven But Jesus has a reason for everything. He wants them to know that He has the authority. Everyone around Him that He's been teaching, I can't help but think that they laughed at that moment. Probably some of the same things that they wanted to say to the Pharisees. (laughs) Jesus, he, He heals this man. But where this really goes, here in Luke 5, starting at verse 25, immediately. Immediately, he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been laying on and he went home and he did what? He was glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and they were filled with this awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Example after example of God being sung about. Jesus' song And even today, even in our words, the first Noel, we shout this joy to Jesus. Day after day, Jesus brings joy over and over again. And humor's a part of it. 
Even in the end, as Jesus is about to die, they're, they're coming into Jerusalem, Luke 19, 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise. They were doing it with this loud voice for all the mighty works that had been seen. God, he, he blesses us with laughter. And all of us would agree that it is a blessing But the greatest blessing is Jesus alone. Jesus. Do we really believe that Jesus was somber? And so as we close today, I'm going to ask you guys, I want you guys to bow your head and close your eyes. I just want us to think for just a moment. You see, Martin Luther once said, It is pleasing to the dear God whenever thou rejoicest or laughest from the bottom of thy heart. Is that you? John Wesley once said, a sour religion is the devil's religion. Is our faith sour? Is our faith? Does it exude this laughter and this joy and this humor? Because that's when people respond. So your assignment for this week is to enjoy life. You have been saved. You have a relationship with Jesus. And so how do you want people to see Jesus in you? Somber? Or do you want them to see laughter, joy, and humor? Because who we are makes a difference in how they see Jesus. But if you don't tell somebody about Jesus and they only see you, then you are singing your own Noel and you are not singing a Noel to Jesus. So let's sing a Noel to Jesus. Let's enjoy life. And let's give Jesus glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. And I praise you. Lord, I pray that this church would sing out your praise. That we would sing a glory to you. And that in this Christmas season, that we would reach out and display this this joy in our life. This joy that only comes because, because of your Son. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the gift of salvation, and we thank you for the gift of baptism, and the gift of laughter, and the gift of humor, and we just praise your name. Lord, we sing your song. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.